0: Miller for three. Ow! Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in, and the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to <laughs> win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let got it. Go. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony <laughs> oh. Hibbert. Harris LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert, skies high
1: for the jam. Stevenson oh,
0: passes, oh, passes into Sabonis for the basket.
1: Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, miles! Turner, bringing that smoke. It flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and.
2: Wow, wow, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace, and my goodness, the Charlotte Hornets were setting the pace last night, dropping 158 points on the Indiana Pacers in a blowout win. Fauci, what a disgrace of an effort last night from the Indiana Pacers.
3: Oof, it was an old-fashioned whooping. I mean, it really was 158 to 126. Alex, the sad thing is, this was a close game in the first half. I mean, this honestly was a game that the Pacers trailed by one at halftime. They proceeded to be outscored by 31 in the second half. They looked lifeless. Um, The Hornets got everything they wanted, including a franchise record amount of points and 158. The Pacers uh, allowing a franchise record of points. And then also, I mean, the perimeter, the three-point shooting for the Hornets last night was ridiculous. 24-45 for 53%. Alex, I I started thinking to myself, man, I could hit a three against these Pacers
2: let me just read off some stats to you, Focci. Uh Terry Rozier had 20 points. He was a plus nine. That's pretty basic. LaMelo Ball, 29 points, 13 assists, 10 rebounds, one steal, one block, plus 45. Ridiculous. Off the bench, Kelly Oubre, 39 points. He had five rebounds, two steals, three assists. He shot five of six from the free throw line and 10 of 15 from three. Fachi, I mean, just looking at this, and Miles Bridges had 22 points, four rebounds, and he was 8 of 10 from the field. I mean, this team was lights out. This Pacers defense is absolutely atrocious. I don't know what the Pacers are going to do going forward um, as they continue to try to battle back. I don't think this is one of those games where you you think the Pacers are going to constantly give up this many points. But it just goes to show you, my goodness, Fachi, this team, when they're bad, they're really bad.
3: I mean, let's also throw in there. Gordon Hayward didn't play. Yeah. I mean, Charlotte put up nearly 160 without Hayward against us. They have had our number all year. I mean, I, I believe this was the final time that we played them. I think this was a sweep for them. Uh, I believe it's been four times. Oh, yeah. so, so I think it's been four. Ugh. But regardless, I mean, it's it was rough. They owned us. I mean, I know people saying, like, this is life post-Miles Turner or life without Turner. Turner ain't stopping 24 threes from going in. Uh, So the perimeter defense was just absolutely atrocious over there. Uh, So many things went well for the Hornets. Not enough went well for the Pacers. Uh, There were a couple of bright spots we have to point out. Isaiah Jackson, Goga Patase lead the Pacers in points with 17 apiece. They both shot well from the field. Goga 8 of 12. Uh, Isaiah Jackson, five of nine. I thought Isaiah did a little bit of everything. He had a great dime in the game, too. I believe it was Dwayne Washington. He had a block. I mean, and both guys really didn't play that much. Isaiah Jackson, 24 minutes. What was a little bit puzzling for me, Goga, who started, just 19 minutes. That is eighth most on the team last night. I don't know. He was one of the guys I wanted to see a little bit more of because he got off to a hot start.
2: Yeah, I'm not really sure what happened there. I just think the flow of the game, them just getting out of hand in the third quarter, maybe he just never really got a chance in the second half after the first little stretch there. But Isaiah Jackson, you know, I want to bring him up here because one of the most impressive things last night is he drilled a three in garbage time that looked really good. And he was six to six from the free throw line. So that's Mm -hmm. something I'm keeping an eye on still. Would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive on the glass. He only had four rebounds. He did have a block and a steal. So defensively, you know, you're getting some of those sparks that you like and goga Batadze, you know, it, it's, twelve, that's really good. That's like sixty six. No, that's higher than that. Isn't it? No, it's yeah, about sixty seven percent, something like that. I can't uh do math That'd in my head. seventy five like
3: right percent, I think.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't I don't know. It's it's two thirds, right? <laughs>
3: uh A divided. Reports.
2: No, it's not. 3 fourths would be uh, we, we 16. are
3: not math people over here. It's
2: 66%. <laughs> yeah, it's 66 points. That's what I said. Uh it's uh 2 thirds So yeah, 4 goes into 12 three times obviously. That's uh let's get back to basketball here, but um but anyway, yeah. So with that being said, you know, Lance Stevenson was 5 of 10. I thought he looked really good. He had seven assists in the first quarter. I mean, it seemed like, hey, this team's hanging in there. And and what we've all kind of been wanting is just these close games that end up in losses, but Yeah. In this game, I mean, You said it 71 70 at halftime. The Pacers got outscored like what was it, 87 to something crazy? So, just completely embarrassed on their home floor in front of Herb Simon, who was actually at the game. Rick Carlisle took 40 plus minutes to get out there and address the media. I saw Tyler Smith talking about it a little bit. And then when he got out there, I went and looked at the clip to see like the post game media press conference on YouTube. The entire clip between three players or two players and Rick Carlisle was seven minutes. Rick Carlisle maybe spoke for like two minutes on this video I mean it's just unreal
3: what
2: else is he going to say though I mean this team flat out sucked
3: I mean that's just flat out this felt like rock bottom I would say because it's just like how many points can one team give up to like you know the Hornets they're they're an explosive offensive team but I mean come on they're not like a juggernaut of a team so to give up this much you know at home it was an embarrassment it really was and over here, I mean, you wonder where do the Pacers really go from here? I mean, they're, they're still – they still have a ton of injuries. We know that they're without the starters, but at this point, you never want to be giving up that much. A few other things that are positive, you know, you touched on Lance. He finishes the game with a double-double, 14-10-6. and six. Great to see him, you know, get into a, a nice flow again. So only helps his case to get signed for the rest of the year. Terry Taylor got his first NBA basket. Awesome to see. I mean, got to finally play, like, some real minutes. I mean, 10 minutes. Finishes four points, five rebounds. He goes one of one shooting. So great story for him. And then overall, just look, I mean, it was ugly. We were trying to find some positives rather than just drag this team, but it is not looking good. But we did have some injury updates that uh was a little bit positive. Uh Alex, you want to kick those off? Yeah, just
2: real quick though, too. I just gotta, I think we need to bring it up. I said it on the last podcast on the Saturday podcast, the Hornets were 0-8 when coming off of a back-to-back. So this would have been the second half of a back-to-back there, 0-8. Last night against the Pacers was their first win after a back-to-back. And what's crazy is they were in Toronto the night before, and most of their starters played 30 minutes or more while the Pacers were just getting back from their road trip. And, you know, that's just is a little bit of an embarrassment there. But anyway, let's get to it. Um, I saw my, uh, my Twitter feed came through with Scott Agnes sharing some stuff here. So let me pull this up real quick. But obviously the Pacers um, are, are looking to trade Miles Turner, trade some other of these guys. But Scott Agnes said Pacers center Miles Turner had another scan on his foot, has made progress, and is uh, he is going to be, again, ramping up his activity level. So that seems like some good news. And then on the other hand, TJ Warren had another scan on his foot this week and is beginning to play one-on-one for the first time since surgery over a year ago. I know there was another update on T.J. McConnell. He was working out uh, doing some sprints there with Jenny Busick in a video that someone posted. I believe it was Jeremiah Johnson. But obviously he is still um, a ways away from being back on the court with that injury. So it doesn't seem like anybody's going to be coming back soon, but it does seem like forward progress with these injuries.
3: Exactly. Look, all these injuries making me feel like I could have been a doctor because I'm like, oh, Turner, no, no, he needs more time than that. You know, it's just I mean, it's getting ridiculous at this point. Like, I'm happy for that. It's positive news because that's all we can ask for. But for when they're saying that T.J. Warren is finally now entering, he's able to play one on one. Then it makes me feel like the Pacers medical staff botched the releasing that he could have been ready by January this man's not close to being ready at this point and it, it, why even rush him it, it's good that we're taking a step forward but you're playing one-on-one now I mean we still we still got a long way to go and for yeah. Turner look I'm happy for it um but you know at the same point how many weeks is this, how many weeks will it be ramp up activity last we heard Alex he actually really wasn't able to do any activity so this might just be like he's able to run some now
2: yeah, but I think that's a good sign. Considering that we're course. two weeks away from the trade deadline, so well, if it's yeah. um, you know, it's made progress, so that's good. It's making progress, which I think they want to get this out there because clearly they want to, <laughs> yes, you
4: very know, strategic. they
2: they definitely want to make it seem or or at least indicate that he is going to be uh you know ready to play later in this season. So I mean, obviously there was some reporting today from Jake Fisher. Talking about how there is a good likely uh, there's a likely chance of Pacers wait till the offseason to trade Turner could be on draft day, you know, and it is what it is at this point. And look, I'm I'm not gonna sit here and be like losing sleep if if Turner's not traded by the deadline because of the injury. Like, like, look, okay, whatever. I still think they should do it, but if they don't, they don't. And I don't think it's gonna impact the rest of the season if he's here or not. Um, what they do in the offseason, I think he's going to be moved at some point. I know a lot of people are really wanting to figure out if Sabonis is going to be moved. And it just doesn't seem like that's the case. Um, there was some reporting, of course, in that Jake Fisher article about a Pascal Siakam for Demonte Sabonis move. That deal, they said, ended up stalling out. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of over all the rumors. I'm, I'm kind of over all of that. I'm just curious to see what happens because right now we're two weeks out. While teams might be, quote, unquote, souring on Turner – Come the week of the deadline, if other moves are made and they think okay Turner might be better off than we thought he is, I think there's going to be buyers out there for him.
3: Very well could be. Uh, in a, In a perfect world, hopefully there is an update before the deadline. Which you know, if this move was strategic by the Pacers, I think there will be another update. You know, could say hey he's he's ramped up, you know, playing on the court and a three on three setting or something like that. Or who knows whatever it is. So we'll we'll keep our eyes and ears um, you know open for that. But for now, I mean, look, the, we can't control these injuries. All we control is what we see on the court. It has not been pretty, but for, for bigger goals, I, I think the Pacers will figure this out, whether that's getting that next draft pick, whether it's resolving issues at center. One thing that we have resolved is that there's talent there. There is young talent, and I'm at least grateful that we've gotten to see that. And uh, I, I'm curious to see what happens when Turner comes back in regards to Goga and Isaiah Jackson, their playing time. These guys can't go back to did not play coaches' decisions.
2: Yeah, we'll have to see if that ever happens, if Turner is back in a Pacers uniform. We, we still don't know. So um, they, they very well could just be continuing these minutes for the rest of the year if Turner is traded. But with that being said, we're going to bring on Evan DeMerrill from Locked On Cavaliers to talk about the Pacers and the Cavs and what a trade possibility could look like. There are a lot of rumors linking Karis LeVert to the Cavaliers, but – I've also heard some rumblings about some other players that could be uh, on the Cavs radar here. So let's take a quick break and we're going to bring on Evan DeMerrill right after this break.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data
2: All right, everybody, so we're going to change things up a little bit with the podcast. I know we've had a lot of questions in regards to trades and talking trades, and so since it's Trade Talk Thursday, I would bring on Locked On Cavs co-host Evan DeMerrill to talk about the recent rumors involving Karis LeVert to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Evan, thanks so much for joining us, man.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it that you guys thought about having me, of all people, on. (laughs)
2: Hey, you're the host of Locked On Cavs. You know, I think all the Locked On shows do a great job covering the team, getting a good feel for this. So let's just get into it a little bit here. Obviously, it's uh, it's no secret that there's been a lot of rumors since probably December 15th when the, the, the rumors came out about the Pacers looking to rebuild that the Cavaliers and Karis LeVert, uh could be a, a deal here that makes some sense. So what are your, I guess, what are you hearing there in Cleveland? Are fans interested in Karis LeVert and do you like the idea of Karis LeVert in cleveland
1: i i'm a fan of it personally because if you look at it from the cleveland side of things they lost a lot when colin sexton went down for the year but they were doing okay because ricky rubio was playing otherworldly basketball and yeah he kind of came down to earth a little bit and i think the notion of quote-unquote olympic ricky is uh not really an existing thing long term but It was certainly entertaining when he was hot to start the season, and he would have those moments every now and then. But then when he went down, it kind of crystallized pretty quickly that the Cavs need some type of secondary offensive creation in terms of shooting, playmaking, defense, you name it, just because Darius Garland is now the focal point of most opposing defenses, and he's already got some back issues. They've been a problem since Golden State when he tweaked something in his lower back, and last night against Milwaukee um, probably to, shouldn't date this episode too much, but either way um, against Milwaukee, you noticed that it was acting up again and JV Baker staff reassured media post came that it's fine, but I don't think it's a tangible thing for this season and how things have gone to let Garland play 35, 40 minutes a night with back issues, especially when teams are going to start to hone in on him on defense and just kind of try and slow him down. Like Milwaukee provided the template. I know the, the Cavs, uh, kind of try to give the Bucks a taste of their own medicine like they did to Drew Holiday. But that's where Karis LeVert kind of comes into play here because he provides shooting, provides defense, provides some tertiary playmaking. I think he can relieve some of that defensive pressure off Garland as well because you have to – this is the NBA. I know people can dog on players for being bad, but they're all there for a reason. And you'll have to respect the fact that he's on the floor as well. And I think, you know, the existing connection with Jared Allen from their time together in Brooklyn is – a pretty interesting thing too i think that's just something to keep worth monitoring as well and if indiana is looking to have a fire sale or maybe offload some of their pieces not named malcolm brogdon i think karis LeVert's probably the most likely you guys can correct me if i'm wrong to go of like between him sabonis and turner because i just don't see a deal materializing for sabonis that's worth indiana's prop trouble and then maybe turner's just a little iffy now because of the foot injury
3: yeah, I, I think lavert has got to be most likely to go. I think at this point, he's got one year left on his deal. I feel like he fits more of a team like the Cavs, who seem to be done rebuilding and are ready to go for it. So I, I do say that Lavert's probably most likely to be on his way out. But the real question is going to be essentially, what are the Cavs looking for in return? Because we know that the Pacers might start it high, but you tell me, like, what are the Cavs willing to give is essentially what I'm asking.
1: Well, we have to look at who's available, and well, let's start with who isn't available. So Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, that's that's Cleveland's quote-unquote big three going forward, pun intended, just because two of those players are nearly seven foot or bigger than seven foot. Um, after that, I'd say anyone's available for the right price, whether it's Jetty Osman or Isaac Okoro to help sweeten, sweeten the pot a little bit. If you're high on Colin Sexton and not Leary because of his torn meniscus, He's, he's also available as well, but maybe like the Cavs probably view those assets as a little higher, rarer air. And then you have contracts like Ricky Rubio's. I think Kevin Love is available, but that's obviously not a part of this conversation just because Love's making so much money right now. Um, ditto for Larry Marketing as well, but I think Marketing could be moved for the right price too. But it's also, also draft picks as well. I think Cleveland's 2022 first round pick, like I was talking to some folks in the league, and they say, you look what the Cavs are doing do they really want to add another 18, 19, 20-year-old to this equation, or do they want to start maximizing the potential of this trio they've kind of assembled in them? I'm of the mentality where if you could offer a lottery-protected pick or even a top-10 protected pick if you need to get the... Let's just say they're trying to negotiate with Indiana to try and get down to like the, the, the real like intricacies of this trade. If it costs you a top-10 pick, I think the Cavs are comfortable doing that because they view that they'll just lose their first-round pick this year and then recoup their draft assets the following year. But they also have... A second round pick via Houston, which is, in my opinion at least, good enough to be the thirty-first or thirty-second pick in this upcoming draft. And then they also have a second round pick via San Antonio. And depending on what the Spurs do, it, that could be have some value as well because the Spurs could kind of strip things down a little bit, maybe do some shameless tanking if they realize the playoffs just aren't in their uh in their sights in the Western Conference. And maybe that second round pick of has a little bit more value because I think this is a talented draft, and I think you can maybe get some good players in the second round you don't have to commit much more financially to. So really in the grand scheme of things, like, like I said, if it's not Allen, if it's not Mobley, if it's not Garland, you can negotiate for any player on the Cavs roster. But the most readily available names is like Ricky Rubio. And then in terms of draft compensation, it's this year's pick via Cleveland in the first round, and then that second round pick via San Antonio and Houston this year's draft.
2: Yeah, that's, that's definitely interesting. You know, I know there's been a lot of reports out there saying that the Pacers won a first-round pick and and young, and young a young player for Karis LeVert. Now, we'll see um, if that actually is what they get in return and depending on which team is more desperate to make a move, I guess you could say, come that 3 o'clock deadline. But I am a little bit curious here, um, you know, how you think Lavert would fit in um, with this team? Would you view him as a starter? Do you think he would be more of a guy that comes off the bench? Because – I'm not sure how it's fit with Garland would be, but I do know that he did have a great, uh, you know, he has great chemistry with Jared Allen back to their Brooklyn days. So, you know, I I think that's a huge factor here in looking at getting Karis LeVert on the Cavaliers, knowing that chemistry he had with Jared Allen at
1: one point. See, that's an interesting question because it depends on what – if Cleveland matches Indiana's asking price, you'd have to assume it's Ricky Rubio, this year's first-round pick, and let's just say Isaac Okoro because I just – in my heart of hearts, I wanna be able to look at Colin Sexton fully healthy if I were to trade for him. And if I were in an organization like the Pacers who are going towards a rebuild, like yes, Sexton is a fun, young, promising player, but like again, you can't fully evaluate him until he's fully healthy and you could be trading for damaged goods at this point. And maybe maybe the Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving trades may be le- hesitant to trade injured players while they're still injured. But either way, uh, let's say that's the asking price. Yeah, you'd start Lavert at the two then, and your starting five would be Garland, Lavert, Markin, and Mobley, Allen. And like you said, there's that on established on court chemistry between Lavert and Allen, which is already helpful. I think Garland just being such a good he he's used to playing off the ball because the Cavs have played a two guard system um, with the sex-land tandem that they operate in the backcourt together. So I think that's that's viable. And let's say they do keep a coro that's jb bickerstaff's uncomfortable decision but i think that's a good problem to have as well because you could start a at the two but also isaac has come off the bench for the most part of the season until um colin went down for the year then ricky went down for the year and then they are now starting him long term at the two and it's just been a little tricky it's been a little finagling i think earlier in this season the Cavs were hoping to say if isaac okoro can make the offensive leap they'd start him over colin sexton just because of the defensive upside But if you want to add a shot in the arm offensively and maybe you want to get Karras more acclimated to what they're doing in Cleveland and his new teammates, you might start him over Okoro for a bit. And if it doesn't work, J.B. Bickerson is also very comfortable with pulling the plug on the situation and just resetting things the way they should be and maybe sending Levert off the bench. So It's always just you can experiment on it, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at the end of the day.
3: Isaac Okoro, a player that you named for a fifth overall pick, a guy that probably, you know, it's safe to say has not hit his potential yet. Alex and I have discussed him as being a piece in a deal if it works out. The framework, essentially, Rubio, Okoro, that first-round pick. That I, For Pacer fans, I feel like we're all signing off on that. But can you tell us a little bit about Okoro's game now and then How what he needs to work on to get to where the Cavs hoped he'd be?
1: Well, like you said, Isaac Okoro is really young. He just turned 21 years old yesterday, which is really weird to think. But... He's arguably Cleveland's best point of attack defender. It's either him or undrafted free agent Lamar Stevens, and Lamar Stevens is pretty good, but Isaac Okoro is just so much better. The Cavs night in and night out. His rookie season would just put him on the team opposing team's best perimeter player and just say play them hard on defense. And he had a propensity to foul. And now that the game is kind of slowed down for him, he still plays physically, but he knows how to play team concepts. He knows how to play super smart. Like you can look at clips. Look, like they played Oklahoma City. Uh, about a week or two ago, when they were in Oklahoma City, he was just given the defensive assignment to shut off Shea Gilchrist-Alexander's water, and he did exactly that in the closing moments of the game, and won the game for Cleveland, but yeah, he hasn't really hit his potential yet. I think defensively, the baseline's always been there. That's what you kind of expected out of, coming out of Auburn. There were concerns about his three-point shot, but the mechanics aren't broken necessarily. It just needs some tweaking, some finessing, and altering, and I think it's getting there. And you could clearly see early into the season that opposing teams would just dare him to shoot the three-pointer and he would miss that more often than not. Like there's a game I think about against Boston where they would either hide Marcus Smart on him on offense because – and then because it would just mitigate the risk or then on defense they would just – put like Brown or Tatum on him and let one of those two kind of play a free safety in those scenarios too. So there's a little bit of a risk in terms of perimeter shooting. He's getting better as a three-point shooter, but obviously that's where he needs to improve his craft and he acknowledges that's where he needs to get better at. But offensively, like he's a great slasher. I think the Cavs want a really smart player. They really let him cut along the baseline where Garland will initiate from the top of the key and a core will be cutting or It's Mobley or Allen operating from the elbow, and Okoro will be cutting along the baseline. It's an easy layup or dunk, and Okoro is a competent enough playmaker that if he knows the shot isn't there, he can kick it out to a perimeter shooter as well. Like, there's a lot of fun things about his game, but like I said, he just turned 21 yesterday, and so I think you need to be a little patient with him. I think Cavs fans just aren't patient in general, especially for a fifth overall pick, but the fact that he already has just such a well-suited defensive package to begin with like that's something definitely to build off of right there and he just continued to build it and build it after that like justice winslow could be like his absolute basement if the shot doesn't hit but like i i think a good comparison for him is like gerald wallace before gerald wallace got really banged up towards the end of his career like if you can get like a Gerald Wallace type player out of Isaac Acor, I consider that a huge win where he hits threes every now and then, but he's just such a force in terms of just attacking the paint and just on the defensive side of the ball and just like provides a lot of neat little things that, yeah, he's a pretty intriguing piece. And if you put him on a team like Indiana that could be rebuilding, that just gives him more opportunities to grow and develop his game.
2: Yeah, and I think that could be a welcome sign for Pacer fans, too, because I know we've talked about Isaac Okoro on this podcast, and fans really seem to be intrigued by his upside. But uh, looking at the other players on this Pacers roster, a player that I think could make some sense for Cleveland if they're willing to uh, do a deal would be Justin Holliday. Uh, this is a guy that can come in right away. He's a pretty consistent three-point shooter, not been as great this year, but still a really good on-ball defender. Um, if the Pacers were looking at trying to acquire maybe the expiring of Rubio with Isaac Okoro in a, in a trade, adding Justin Holiday's salary to that would be pretty beneficial to me if I'm a Cleveland fan wanting to oh, yeah. compete right now.
1: No, I absolutely agree. I think mean, Justin Holliday is a player that a lot of Cavs fans have I been mean, kind of just – Pointing to is uh not necessarily cheap options, but cheaper I guess in the grand scheme of NBA contracts. I'm looking at his deal right now. He's making six million this year. He's making six point two nine. So we'll say six point three next year. Like that's not hard to move at all. I think and um at 32 years old, like he's an established veteran. Like he's a good wing player. Like you guys said, um I would be a fan of that as well. I just don't know if the Pacers will want more? Because if you're just saying, okay, it's Rubio, Okoro, and a first-round pick, would you guys say then you'd send back Justin Holiday and Karis LeVert? Or if you were the Pacers, would you want a little bit more for your troubles?
3: Watch. <laughs> I mean, so can you repeat
1: the question? So if you're sending care, if – let's say it's just right now the trade we're hypothetically spitballing here is Ricky Rubio, Isaac Okoro, and we'll say – a protected 2022 first round pick. And mm-hmm. the Cavs said, well, okay, well, could you send back Harris the Vert and Justin Holiday? Would you just agree to that trade because a included in that package, or would you want a little bit more for your trouble?
3: I'm ready to sign now, honestly. <laughs> right I,
1: now, I, Pen is in my
2: hand. Well, um, I think, honestly, because of the second round picks that you've mentioned and the Pacers being rumored to want two second round picks for Justin Holiday, I think if you were to give up maybe the Rockets pick, the second round pick in that deal, that would probably be more of something the Pacers would like just to get another asset because obviously Rubio brings nothing to the table. He's just an expiring contract and that will help them moving forward in terms of what they want to do with cap space. I don't really know what else they would have out there. Obviously TJ Warren would be a free agent and then determining what they do with uh, Miles Turner, what they get back with that kind of deal, um, what they're looking at cap wise going into the off season. But, you know, I, I think getting off, the other year of Karis Avert by taking on Rubio's salary is intriguing. And then you've got a Coro who's still in our contract for, you know, two years after this season. So that mm-hmm. to me makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, I don't think I would lose sleep if I didn't get the second round pick, but if I'm the Pacers, I probably at least ask for that in, in terms of throwing in Justin Holiday, a guy that's, you know, very well respected around this, uh, this franchise.
1: Well, if let's say the Cavs said no to the Houston second, and then the Pacers didn't want the, san antonio second rounder would dylan windler do it for you indianapolis own <laughs> yes he would here's well the thing.
2: well here's the thing you got to think about cap space too because this is already going to put the pacers one million dollars over with just the uh justin and karis thing so i'm just saying from a pacers standpoint they don't want to be anywhere close to the luxury That's tax fair. which they already are so i don't think they would probably want the player i think they would more than likely just Swallow and, and do the deal uh, at this point, but I'll let Fatche continue with his point because that's just how I feel.
3: Yeah, look, it, I'm not losing sleep over the second round pick. That Houston pick, it, it's a nice pick. It really is. San Antonio, that's that's a fine pick right over there too for a second round pick. But if we found out that this deal hit a snag and didn't happen over an extra second round pick, then I think Pacer fans would be livid. Now, Dylan Windler, someone I discussed. Look, I, I don't really know what his like solidified role is uh, for the Cavs. It's obviously not enough or not what they hoped it would be when they picked him 26th overall. But this guy was a stud in college. And I get it. He went to Belmont, whatever, but he could flat out score. He could shoot the three ball. I mean, right now he's shooting just under 40%. It's not on enough of a sample size. Tell me, is, is it just that he can't get minutes over there or can this guy still shoot? It's just that he's got to get on the court more.
1: He can shoot. I think you can see. it. I think a lot of it's health concerns at this point because he had a stress fracture in his leg during Summer League heading into his rookie season because John Bayline made him more or less do 2 a days during Salt Lake City um, Summer League, and it kind of broke Dylan Winler And it's just been unfortunate injury after injury after injury where I think he had to find confidence and comfort – comfortableness and familiarity with his body when he's on the floor because there was a point last season before he was shut down for the year due to a knee injury that he went up for a dunk and he landed and like I think everybody in the arena held their breath that was, that was back when even like there was even a few fans in the stands like people were just nervous to watch him go up and dunk the ball because he's kind of fragile and J.B. Bickerstaff's also just a coach a habit too where he has an established pecking order of Garland, let's say when they're fully self-healthy, Garland, Sexton, Okoro, Markinon, Allen, Mobley, Love, Rubio, and then Osmond as like a fringe wing piece. Like He's going to go with the guys he knows versus the guys he doesn't know and the guys he hasn't really gotten the practice and familiar with, and that's just the unfortunate reality situation. I just think Dylan Windler, if he wants to show he has a shot at the next level, it's with a rebuilding team because he can get minutes in Cleveland's rotation. He can provide... It's funny you mentioned like what exactly is his role. I think his ideal role is like a guy, a bigger body forward who can provide tertiary playmaking and can crash the glass on defense, but provide three point shooting. And he wasn't really used that way and still hasn't really been used that way in Cleveland. Like, yeah, there was that one game he had where it was like a career high from him. And then he was glued to the bench after that because the Cavs were healthy again. So I just think there's just better guys in Cleveland's rotation. And I think there's something there because he was a stud at Belmont. Um, there's just a lot of stuff there that just translates to the next level really well. You just have to sit and wonder and think like, well, why the heck isn't he getting this chance? I just think it's because the Calves have their established order and bigger staff as coach. It goes with guys he knows versus like, hey, we need help on the wing and three point shooting. Let's not call up Dylan Windler. Let's just play Dean Wade, traditionally a power forward at the three.
2: Yeah, and I think you know there's there's definitely some interesting names out there for sure on the Cavs roster that could be available and some type of trade. So we'll see what the Pacers would really like if they do strike up a deal. But I'm curious uh, as my last question here for you, Evan, there's obviously other players that could be in play here for the Cavaliers to look at adding to the roster instead of Karis LeVert, just for some reason, they have a certain, you know, asking price of what they would be willing to give up in a sense. And the Pacers' asking price is too high. So are there any other guys out there that you think could make some logical sense here that might be more affordable than what the Pacers are potentially asking for with Kara Silver?
1: So it's interesting to think I, I think the Cavs will make a move. They, um, Bleacher Report's Jake Fisher has reported that they're one of the more aggressive teams. They, they historically speaking, are an aggressive team when it comes to the trade deadline. Like the Andre Drummond trade still has come out of nowhere in my eyes. <laughs> and, um, just a lot of like a lot of interesting moves before and after the deadline, and just things they've done. Um, Eric Gordon is a player that I've heard about, and also makes a lot of sense for this team. But again, it's how much is Houston willing to give up? Do the Cavs want to eat that much contract for a guy that old? Buddy healed. if you want to really, like, stretch out the finances of things, I think Harrison Barnes remains a viable option for them, too, if they just want to get another defensive wing who's more of a 3-4 than a 2-3, um, but honestly, I think Dennis Schroeder as well, they just got a injury, an injured player exception from Ricky Rubio's season-ending injury, so they have to kind of structure that uniquely as well, because Boston's looking to shed salary, and I think if they could use that exception to get Dennis Schroeder, they would do that in a heartbeat, um... And then they're free to move Rubio if they want to. It's just, there's there's players out there. I think Karis LeVert, like we talked about it when I first came on, like it's like the worst kept secret in basketball. Like he's consistently been linked to this Cavs team. Like I would be surprised if he's not a Cavalier by the time the deadline's over. And... Other than that, like I said, Eric Gordon, Buddy Heald. Um, But I think the Cavs are going to try and really keep the powder dry for this offseason and kind of, like, watch what happens. Because I think that Boston situation between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, like, clearly Jason Tatum's the Celtics guy. If Jalen Brown wants out of Boston, I think the Cavs could swoop in and offer the Celtics a pretty handsome trade package. Or they could be, like, the third team who gets involved in one of these, like, big star moves, kind of like they did in the James Harden deal and they got Jared Allen for their troubles. So... I think the Cavs will kind of keep their their key assets clean and then kind of figure out what they have from there. But I think they're going to make a move, and a lot of those guys I mentioned are probably going to be options for them leading up to the deadline. First of all, fantastic
3: move getting Jared Allen in that James Harden deal. Felt like kind of like an underrated part of that trade because I was also happy getting Levert in that deal. Um, but then what did you guys do with Jared Allen? I mean, fantastic. Love the direction that the Cavs are going in right now. I mean, I, I tweeted out moments ago, I don't know who could have predicted the Cavs being 30 and 19 and one and a half games out of first place in the East right now. Maybe Cavs fans could have. I don't even know about that. But my last question is essentially: It feels like the Cavs are inching towards moving on from Colin Sexton. In that, kind of from an outside perspective, it feels like Darius Garland almost kind of ran this guy out of town. It was an interesting approach when they drafted him, having two guards being top ten picks, but. Tell me why some Cavs fans have soured on Colin Sexton, because I've always known the scoring capability is there, but it feels like there's always been something that's been criticized about his game.
1: I wouldn't say necessarily that Darius ran Colin out of town. They're pretty close. Like they're pretty tight off the court. And I think they're good friends. Um, Darius is friendly with most of the players in the locker room. And he tries to be close with all these guys because they're players he plays with on a night to night basis. Um, from like just, a talent perspective of oh, like it's darius garland's
3: team moving forward compared to oh absolutely Sexton's
1: team. i think that always was the case i think it was a weird time when the Cavs drafted colin sexton because lebron just left town again uh kevin love broke his foot and they just proceeded to just absolutely free fall they sh- trade george hill they get alec burks they get rid of rodney hood they jettison J.R. smith the shadow realm like they completely like different team by the time Kevin Love comes back and I think they kind of like focus around Colin Sexton because he's a young player he gives you hope he gives you optimism um you draft Garland though either way because I think the Cavs made the right decision with you and this is just my draft philosophy in general you always take the best player available because talent finds a way to fit itself together no matter what you shouldn't be picky and they viewed Garland as the best player available and he kind of came along slow and he's having like this incredible third year right now um, I'm not a huge proponent of the smaller backcourt that Cleveland is running. I know like people will point to what Portland's doing and I'm like, well, Portland hasn't had much success or people will point to what Utah's doing. and I'm like, well, Utah's teetering. I'm blowing it up. Um, it's, I'm not a huge fan of it. Like I said, I think Sexton, they would have been in favor of benching him for a coro this year and having him just be like a super sharp six man off the bench for them. It's odd. It's just an odd situation. I don't think He's running his way out of town. I think the contract issue really blew up in his face because I do wonder if he regrets not signing that offer. That the Because from what I gathered, it was five years, 100 million. Sexton wanted four years, 100 million, with the ability just to get the free agency sooner. And that's where the the brass tacks of it all really broke down. And I think the Cavs will let him test the restricted free agency market this offseason. I think with the knee injury and everything else, I think teams might be more – hesitant to sign him to a long-term deal but who knows with modern medicine and science maybe his knee looks a lot better than what i fear it will be um but i don't think he's necessarily going to be run out of town i don't think Cavs like there's a contingency of Cavs fans who will live and die and breathe by colin saxton i look at the big picture of this all and say like yeah he's a really good player and i look at how the Cavs kind of struggle offensively right now and i'm like wow Colin Sexton's back on the bench like cheering on his teammates and coaching people up in timeouts and everything. I'm like, they could really use a player like that right now, and that's why we're talking about tra- trading for to the Vert, because they're not the same player, but they provide something similar at the end of the day. And I, 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 in my heart of hearts, think Colin Sexton will be here next year. I don't know if it's on an extension. He might be playing at the last year of his deal, and he just becomes an unrestricted free agent, not this upcoming offseason, but the following offseason. And they just kind of figured it out from there. But I think it's always just kind of been Garland's team. I think when you look at it, like, it was a slower thing. Like, Sexton was pretty good immediately. And then Garland took a while to get here. And now that he's kind of having this coming out party and he's really blossoming alongside Mobley and Allen as well, you kind of forget where Colin Sexton stands in the grand scheme of things. And I think the Cavs want him here. It's just like you guys said, it's not his team anymore. I also don't know if it will be Darius Garland's team in a few years because, hell, Evan Mobley could be yeah. a, a stud in a few years too. I mean, he's already on that trajectory to begin with as well. But it, it's an interesting thought process. I think these are the tough decisions you have to make when you are rebuilding, though, is you draft a lot of this young talent and then you have to make the hard decisions of, okay, who do we keep and who do we not keep and who do we use as trade assets to kind of accentuate and build around like the more established young talent, if that makes sense. So I, it's interesting to watch. Um, I hope he stays in Cleveland. I think he's done a lot of good. He's invested in a lot of local businesses and kept them afloat during the pandemic and really cares about Cleveland and really likes it here. I think he's a big family guy. I think he's just kind of shy, kind of quiet and soft-spoken. And so whenever he does do media stuff, it's usually pretty important when he does. And I'd be happy if he's here. (laughs) Like I know Cavs fans think I hate Colin Sexton because I just think they should break up the backcourt. And I've always been a proponent of starting Garland and benching Sexton just because of the grand scheme of just team dynamics but the Cavs are also a team to play three seven footers and they make it work so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about either
2: yeah I mean having a having a controversy in your starting five is something the Pacer fans are very familiar with with Turner and Sabonis so uh with that being said Evan I want to thank you so much for joining us today here on setting the pace and uh You guys can find Evan on Twitter at amnotevan, but I want to give you a chance here now to just kind of talk about all the great things you're doing uh, covering the Cavaliers.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you again for having me. But as we mentioned at the top, I host Locked on Cavs with my partner in crime, sometimes uh, my hostage by the way I treat him and make him go insane. Chris Manning five days a week. (laughs) Uh, It's been a lot of fun covering this team this year. We, I get dragged a lot for being low on this Cavs team, but I'm always happy to admit I'm wrong. But I also ho I also run the show over on Meta Bulletin's right down Euclid, where I cover the three major sports teams. Obviously, the Cavs being my wheelhouse, but I also focus on how they impact the community as well. With All Star coming around the corner, like that's a huge deal too. And then. Um, I work at the state of Ohio as well just offer gambling advice because sports betting should be legal in Ohio in 2023 as well so sometimes I do a little freelance work there but yeah just give me a follow on Twitter and am not Evan um, I promise I'm a nice guy usually like to interact with people um, sometimes I don't I'll just I tweet Cav stuff sometimes I give my opinions on things and sometimes just stuff I hear everything else but yeah thanks for having me guys I really appreciate it
3: appreciate you thanks for coming on.
2: All right, everybody, to close out the show, we're bringing on our Setting the Pace fan of the week and joining us now is the one and only
4: Brent Gentry. Brent, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. Awesome. Well, I got to
2: ask, because in your profile picture, you have a
4: pretty wicked beard. (laughs) What is the inspiration behind this and how long did it take you to grow it? So uh, I, I wondered if that might uh, come up in this conversation. <laughs> so I grew this beard, I've had this beard for over 15 years. Wow. Uh, and I grew it out of utility. Um, my wife and I lived up in Madison, Wisconsin for over 10 years. And I'm a winter sports enthusiast. I uh, like to snowboard. That's kind of my main uh, passion um, in outdoor recreation. And so I grew the beard out so my face would stay warm when I was out riding. And uh, actually worked the beard into my wedding vows, so it is recognized in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, I don't think I'll ever shave it. So,
3: love it. I'm a beard guy myself, but I've never quite gone the distance that you've gone. But <laughs> for, for everybody listening right now, it, it took about five seconds to with connecting with Brent to realize that he is super passionate about this team. So, Brent, tell me a little bit about your first memories becoming a Pacer fan.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I have two older sisters, and um, I'm from Muncie. So, growing up in Muncie, um, my youngest of the two older sisters lived in Indianapolis, and she is a nurse. And she happened to work for a physician at the time who was a surgeon. And this is in the um, late 80s. Okay. Um, and the, the, the doctor, the surgeon, uh, they had Pacer season tickets, and this is back at Market Square Arena, and the tickets were extraordinary. I don't know um, if you guys ever made it to a game there or remember, but down on the floor they used to have bleachers, bleacher seats sitting on the floor at MSA, and uh, the these tickets were, were in the fourth bleacher seat sitting right on the floor, and so this is about 1989 I think is when I started going to the games with my sister. I remember they had just drafted George McCloud, uh, Reggie Miller was on that team. Uh, Rick Smits was on that team. Detlef was on that team. Um, Chuck Person was still on there. Vern Fleming, those guys. And just going to the games with her and being able to see it up close, which is you know, super exciting. Um, I was just hooked. And that they became my number one just through that.
2: Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, I got to ask because I never really – remember going to Madison uh, Square Arena, um, I, I, or Market Square Arena, excuse me, wow, Madison Square Garden was in my head, excuse me, but Market Square Arena, um, you know, I might have been as a kid, but I, but Banker's Life was built in 2000 and I was born in 92, so, uh, gotcha. you know, very good possibility I was there, but I have to ask, as someone that got to really experience that arena versus the Fieldhouse, you, you did say that you buy the mini season ticket passes here for the, yeah. for the 10-game package,
4: what arena do you like better? Um, well, I tell you, I like the, I loved the intensity of of Market Square. Um, got so loud, and there was just something about that that space. You know, not only for something like a Pacer game, but you know, um, I remember driving down countless times to Indianapolis to see a concert at Market Square, um, and of course, I have so many good memories of you know going to Pacer playoffs. But in a nod to Indiana basketball history, and I think what their vision for the the field house was and is and how it continues to evolve, I think they have done an exceptional job with the field house. And so um, we, my family and I, you know, having that 10 game package um, and being able, able to pick our seats and go to the games with my daughters um, is, it's a ton of fun. And so I think when that vision is fully
3: realized down there, um, I think
4: it's gonna be extraordinary.
3: Yeah, let's just say Game Bridge isn't rocking as much as Market Square used to be, but uh, not these days. Not <laughs> no. these
4: days. Uh, no, it is not. You know, I think we're all waiting patiently for that, right? And uh, um, I'm sure we'll get back there someday.
3: We, we very much are. So, is there a specific game in mind that stands out to you as like this is one of my proudest moments watching the team at home? You mentioned some playoff games. Is there one in specific that might stick out for you?
4: Um, I'll tell you one game um, that I attended that I think I'll always remember was in 1995. Um, Michael Jordan's return from his Ah, first retirement. Patriots got the win. Chicago on the road um, in Indiana and kind of watching uh, Jordan and Reggie Miller immediately start going at it again. Um, that was so cool. And, you know, that the, the place was packed. It was a, definitely had a playoff kind of vibe. And in, 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 that was 95. And obviously that. You know, same year that Reggie did, you know, eight, eight points, nine seconds, mm-hmm. the the victory against the Knicks. And so just those real intense, you know, um, kind of playoff moments, 93, 94, 95. Um, so many good memories of all that. You know, Reggie's 25 in the fourth quarter for the Knicks, uh, the 8.9 seconds, which was unreal. Just, you know, I was kind of in my prime as a Pacer fan for all of that. So who was, your, who was your favorite pacer
2: of all time? I guess um, we can say current and former player uh, that you sure. like.
4: Reggie Miller, for sure. Um, without question, former player. And if I were to throw two out, I know that's I mean, kind of a cop out, but I'm going to throw two out for current players. I really, really respect and admire Chris Duarte. Um, I have a lot of admiration for you know, his, where he comes from, his story, his path to the NBA. And he plays super hard. He plays super smart. And I just, I love what he brings to the team. And I love the fact that Lance came back, you know, not to sound like a complete homer, but (laughs) Lance brought something. And I I know you guys have discussed it because I've heard you. Lance brought, you know, juice. And I think that's one thing that this Pacer team is lacking is, is energy. And that X factor, those intangibles, that juice, um, and I wish they had it. Um, when you, Alex, I read your article uh, today um, that that just went up about what the Pacers need to do to you know get back to winning culture. Um, great article. And thank you, thank you. You know the you know the lead with you know that they, they need leadership. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know somebody like Malcolm Brogdon who is you know the the, the default you know, leader of the group. That's what the the players say. And you know. Part of the I think problem with with Malcolm is certainly the availability, durability, um, the fact that he misses so much time. Um, he, how can you be an effective leader when you're not on the floor, you know, leading by by doing? And um, while I you know respect his you know playing composed and collected, he does not bring energy you know to that group. And with this group and the chemistry, I believe it's sorely missing. And I think they need somebody. Um, you know, to bring some excitement and
3: energy to that group. Yeah, absolutely. You made some great points over there. And the Pacers do have a lot to fix. If there was one short-term fix that you could mention, say perhaps one coming around the trade deadline, is there something in your mind that that sticks out as, hey, we either need to trade this guy or we need to go after this type of player?
4: It's interesting I I definitely definitely think they need to make a move um, by the trade de- deadline. I you know kind of watch the phone and watch Twitter, kind of expecting something to happen every day. I don't know what's going to happen, but ultimately, it's the timing. Of course, is um, unbelievable with Miles Turner's injury, but I think they should try to move Miles Turner. Um, I just can't. I don't know how you get rid of a player as solid as Sabonis. Um, a guy who's so fundamentally sound, a guy who you know takes a beating, night in and night out. I'm not saying you have to make him the centerpiece, you know, of your offense. Um, but I mean, you can certainly see Miles' absence, what happens defensively. But you know, this group, as it's been put together and run back and run back, they don't have it, and I think we can all see that they don't have it. So it's time for change. Um, I think larger scale change. And I would like to see him move on from Brogdon in the summertime. I don't know if that's realistic with the extension, um, but I sure would like to see it. I think the extension—it's a little
2: bit—you know—we we talked about it a little bit, but I, I don't think it necessarily means—I don't think it necessarily means that he's going to be here long term. I, I think that mm-hmm. it just means, hey, we got him on an affordable contract that's very right. movable and teams might be more enticed to trade for a guy that's got multiple years on that deal come the offseason. We'll see what happens, especially determine uh, based on who they, they draft in, uh, in this coming right. draft because they draft a point guard and Malcolm's not the answer going forward, then you have to look to move on from him. But with that being said, I have to ask you, you were in the arena last night for the game. Obviously, a, a horrific loss by the Indiana Pacers to the Charlotte Hornets, a, a historic loss, the worst loss in franchise history, I believe. But mm-hmm. um, can you just tell me if you saw Herb Simon there and if you noticed anything about maybe some of his mannerisms watching the game. Did he act a certain way? Uh, did he leave early? Yeah. Just kind of your your evaluation of what he looked like watching the game. Sure.
4: So actually, I don't sit too far from Herb and Chad Buchanan and Kelly Kroskoff and, and, you know, where they have their seats. They're in Section 1, um, mm-hmm. you know, right over there by the Pacers bench. And my seats are over in 20. Um, okay. Similar level. And so I can see that whole crew. And it was – um, it was interesting. You know, Herb is pretty stoic um, when he watches that. You know, not a lot of emotion, not a lot of animation. You know, he sits there and watches the game. Um, now, it was later on, and I saw you know, Herb was not in his seat um, for a, an extended period. Um, and then I was reading in the Indie Star today. Um, the guys, remind me what the star reporter's name is oh, right now. Oh, James, James Boyd. Boyd. Yeah, James Boyd. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, he wrote that Herb was still in his seat um, at the end of the fourth, and um, you know, I I I noticed him being out of his seats for a while, but not very animated and not a ton of emotion, which I think is par for the course with Herb. Um, you know, Chad Buchanan and Kelly were there the entire time, and and I'm glad that Herb was there to see it, you know, firsthand, because really. Last night was a tale of two halves. The first half wasn't bad at all, um, and you had a couple of plays. Goga was playing decent. You got a great dunk from Dorte, um, but then just the second half was so so unbelievably bad. And in terms of there, no defense was being played by anybody, and they're shooting lights out. And it was just a tale of two halves. And I will say that the fans that showed up because um, you know, it was it was cold last night, getting to the arena, parking, you know, walking to the to the field house. Um, the people that were there, they wanted to be there. And they were definitely into it and loud at, at the first half. But the second half, um, fans weren't given
3: a lot to cheer about. It, you, know, you are not wrong there. That, that second half, it was tough to watch. So those that were there, they deserve a pat on the back because, hey, that's that's you know true dedication right there. They deserve some free Chick-fil-A. <laughs>
4: at least. At least. I think, everybody, I think they scored curly fries. I'm pretty sure yep. that they got curly fries today.
3: I, di- I did see that tweet go out, but right. uh, Brent, I definitely wanted to thank you for the time today. I really appreciate your passion, your, your loyalty to the team, especially raising your daughters as Pacer fans over now. Like this is, this is what it's all about. I look forward to raising my kids as Pacer fans when that time comes. So tell everybody where they could find you on Twitter. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not super active on
4: Twitter. I do have uh beach 73 on Twitter and Instagram. Um, if you like following a, an Instagram that has a lot of uh, food um, pictures Ooh, of kids and good. dogs, I'm about to um, follow lots of pictures of tattoos as well. So okay. you might want to follow bgentry gentry um, 73 on Instagram.
3: Awesome. awesome. Well, hey, go ahead,
4: Fudge.
3: I was just going to say, once again, we appreciate listeners just like you who are passionate and have supported us from, from day one. So keep up the awesome, awesome work. Keep being a great fan and, we need, we need you. We need us. We need to keep something going to keep this team you know, going in the right direction. Otherwise, it could get dark out here real quick, Brent.
4: It's absolutely worth it. You guys do a great job. I love listening to you, and thanks so much for having me on.
2: Well, everybody, we sure hope you guys enjoyed our Fan of the Week and, of course, Evan DiMero from Locked on Cavs giving us some insight there on a potential Karis LeVert trade and how he thinks the Cavaliers would benefit from that. So Fachi.
3: Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off today? No, I just I want to put that Charlotte loss behind us. I I, I think things can't get much worse than that. But you know what? I might have just jinxed us.
2: <laughs> yeah, we got the Thunder on Friday, so there'll be a big game there in terms of uh, positioning ourselves in terms of draft position. So you know, Sabonis might be back. We will have to keep that in mind. Obviously, the Thunder are not trying to win very many games. I think as I checked last Saturday on the on the uh, weekly show, our Saturday weekly show. They were 1-9 and nine in their last 10 games, so they've not been playing very good at all. They're embracing this tank as the season prolongs. But Fachi, with that being said, man, we have just skyrocketed through with our ratings and reviews at 185 as we speak, and I just feel like at this point right now, we're going to wait till the end of the season before we give out all of these um, prizes just because I want to make sure that we're not giving somebody a jersey that ends up getting traded. So we'll wait till the end of the season before we do any of that
3: kind of stuff. But with that being said, where can the people find us out on social media? All right, so you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. And you can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace.
2: And if you find Gugba Tadze's rebounds are offensive, say these three words.
4: Let's go Pacers!
2: Peace out, Pacer Nation.